good luck with the world. Welcome back to Girls Gone Wild podcast. Guys, thank you so much for resubscribing, sharing with a friend, getting back on this show. We're so happy with the relaunch. We've been having such a good time hearing from you and getting your feedback that you're so happy that this feed is back. We want this to be a space where you feel that we can have these conversations about health, wellness, fitness, and that you can have these conversations without it being stigmatized or feel like, oh, I feel bad for wanting to work out or be healthy, whatever that means to you. So continue to send your feedback and ideas to girlsgonewadpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we welcome back Molly Barr to the podcast. Molly, hi again. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) This was such a good conversation uh, when we did round one. If you listeners have not listened to the first episode that we did, please go back. We talked about intuitive eating. Molly is a licensed therapist in the state of Florida and in Hawaii and has a an expertise on eating disorders and intuitive eating, which I'm very fascinated about the topic of intuitive eating for the reason that it just seems to be a buzzword. And I hate when things become a buzzword because I'm like, well, but where's the origin and what is like actually happening with intuitive eating so that we're not doing it incorrectly? Um <laughs> which even that sounds funny. It's like, you can you do it incorrectly? Um, anyway, you know what I'm saying? When all the influencers start kind of using the word intuitive eating or using the phrase intuitive eating, we're like, wait a minute, I'm very confused because diet culture is just taking over again. So Molly's back. We're going to go through some of your questions. You guys submitted some great questions. I think we just want to keep having this discussion. The first episode was really full of a lot of information that we barely scratched the surface on. So our hope for today was that we could get a little bit more into the weeds of of your specific questions. So let's start, Molly, with the question around kids. A lot of questions came in around how do I model this behavior for, for my kids? What a great question. And I think you already answered it is we just need to model it and reinforce it. But let's actually back up for a second because kids are actually the best teachers of intuitive eating. So we should actually be looking to them. Like, how are they eating? Especially the younger they are. It is just so clear that they just, they know their body signals. They know their taste preferences, even though that can change hour to hour and day to day, but they haven't been taken away by diet culture yet course, depending on the age, but you know, they can take those three bites of a hot dog and put it down and that's all they want and they're good. And then they know when they're hungry again, and then we feed them. And so we can look to them as kind of the intuitive eaters. Is the fear from parents, my guess is some of the fears from parents is that they're not going to eat enough, or if they take a few bites and they put it down, that they're going to become malnourished, which is where the like, clean your whole plate comes from, perhaps I'm totally just kind of like projecting some thoughts and fears of like, they want their child to have a well rounded diet. So like eat your vegetables, eat the carbs, eat the proteins like at the all in one sitting. Absolutely. It's interesting you say that you're right. I was thinking you were about to say, are your parents afraid that kids are going to gain weight? Because that's the one I hear the most. But you're oh, right. I think it starts in the other direction of they're not going to eat enough. Or if I do that, then they're going to ask me to eat every hour. And so I understand that, that it could come from, um, it's probably, again, the pendulum swinging in both directions. And you still, as the adult, get to, there's, um, it's called Ellen Satter's division of responsibility would be something to consider looking into. And I think the breakdown is something along the lines of, and I'm saying this because I don't usually work with kids, but I want you to have the resource. Parents say when and what foods to eat and the kids basically get to pick 
how much they get to eat. So there is some, you, you can still be a parent in this too. An active participant. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. that, yeah, I think. And so the other piece that kind of came up was, you know, for example, I've had family members with children or friends with children where the child really liked drinking milk and they'd be like, well, don't drink milk before dinner because then you're going to be full. Like they wanted to just have a bunch of milk before dinner. And it's like, is that a, is that a food rule? Of like, well, maybe they just really feel like drinking some milk. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a food rule. I mean, really trying like disrupting what they should eat and saying, yeah, I think that that can really start to disrupt the the kids' relationship with their body. They're hungry or they're thirsty. That's what they want now. It's probably not always going to be that way. And maybe even putting all the food out at once, including dessert, just to see what happens. So it's not like you have to, A, clean your plate. So we do actually want to move away from that. But you have to eat your full meal before eating dessert. That can also kind of set us up for, you know, putting the dessert up up here. This It's like this shiny, glittery thing that we have to earn. Cause that kind of sets up that hierarchy of like, Ooh, these are, these are really fun foods. I want to eat all the time. Yes, 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 yes. So you sent a great resource cause you and I talked a little bit offline and you were like, I don't specialize in working with children in intuitive eating, but I have a great resource for you. And it's Nicole Cruz RD on Instagram. I will link this in the show notes here. A lot of people are like, how do I get to the show notes? Basically, if you just open this podcast episode and see the notes that are in like the description of this podcast, you'll see everything linked there. Uh, so it's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Cruz, C-R-U-Z-R-D, I'm assuming registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has wonderful, wonderful resources and information about how to help your child be an intuitive eater, helping you be an intuitive eater. And raise an intuitive eater is what her bio says. And so far, just from what I've seen on her Instagram, it's like, yeah, this is great. This is really great. Some of the things like uh, the pie chart of of important and not so important, where like 85% of the pie is important of your child's relationship with sugar. And not so important is the amount of sugar your child eats on an individual day. Again, those food food rules getting fixated on individual foods at each meal over, or over the course of a specific day. She's going to give you a lot of information of how to do that. And it looks like she has a course as well. So I re- highly recommend you going on her Instagram and checking out her website. She has a really great Facebook too. I've heard it's really well regulated that parents can join and ask questions and oh, good. talk some of this thing, all, all this stuff through. Very good. All right. Let's dive into some other questions from listeners. We'll start with how do I ask my mother-in-law to stop making comments about good or bad food around my toddler? We get this a lot. We could go the, we could go with any family member just making comments about good or bad foods. I feel like this is a tricky question. It is because it kind of depends on the relationship and how much you want to dig into it. Of course, we're always, as therapists, we're always going to suggest trying to be as direct as possible. And it could be as simple as, I would prefer if you didn't talk about food in this way around my kid, or I'm trying to help, you know, improve my relationship with food and help cultivate an environment around food being, you know, neutral. So if we could try not to talk about food in black or white terms, good or bad, junk food, you know, whatever she actually said, you know, trying to be as direct with her as possible. And she might be open to 
a, a bigger discussion around it. And that could be as simple as, oh, I've been learning about intuitive eating. Have you heard about this? And then just starting to talk about the subject can be a little bit easier too. Yeah, because I know that just in, not even with children around, but family members who have such a focus on diets, it can just be difficult to be around them, period. Mm -hmm. uh, I always know when you're talking to a family member, there's always a risk of weighing the pros and cons of like, are you going to cause more, not more harm, but is it going to cause more stress in the relation? Like, what is it worth? You kind of, sometimes you have to kind of weigh that. Would you agree? Like, that's a, that's a tricky one where I also really believe in boundaries, but there's some relationships where you're like, and is that just going to make it worse? It could. And maybe that's when you really talk more to your kids around food and just really keeping it neutral or even like food is great and like have a really positive relationship with it. However you want to approach it rather than focusing on that person, not saying it because your kids are going to be exposed to this diet culture stuff, whether it's grandma or kids at school or anywhere that they go, they're going to see it regardless. So this could be an opportunity for you to talk to them about, you know, noticing when people say these things and understanding where that comes from. And, you know, you, we don't have to go in that direction. You can eat food when you're hungry and stop when you've had enough and eat all sorts of food and accept your body as it is. Yeah. I was just going to say, they're going to get it from just being in this world because mm -hmm. diet culture is everywhere and it could be at the neighbor's house. It could be, you know, like we've all heard those stories of, going to the neighbor's house because they had all the junk food, quote unquote, yeah. junk food. <laughs> and they were like, my house only had like, you know, sugar-free granola bars. So then they would go ham on the, you know, the quote unquote junk food at the neighbor's house. It's like, that's a perfect example of restriction of just being like, we don't, we're not allowed to have these treats at our house. You know, I just get so frustrated. There's a, <laughs> this is where it's like, we talked last week about how it doesn't have to be so black and white. But the frustration I get, the anger that like drives me to put information like this out there from fitfluencers or influencers, there's a very like prominent CrossFit coach who has a podcast, who's not mm. a dietitian, not a mm -hmm. therapist, definitely does not have the credentials to be giving advice about what you should or should not feed your children, but like made some comments about like giving his kids... I want to say it was like popcorn as a treat, like that just the household sounded so restrictive and then it was like, and then they get popcorn and we call it a treat. And I just wanted to be like, you just gave thousands of listeners horrible advice on how to have a bad relationship with food in their household. And it drives me up the wall. So hopefully some of our information can counteract that bad information. It drives me nuts. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, like we allow, anytime you're like, they're allowed to have this type of food, it's like, ooh. Anyway, okay, next question. So that kind of wraps up like around how to address it with family. I know it's it's very, it really does depend and it's going to be different with every relationship, but maybe you do risk someone being mad at you because mm -hmm. you set a boundary and I think that's okay. It could also be planting a seed too. You never know because it's never too late for somebody to change their relationship with food. And so it could be an opportunity to, hey, mom or mother-in-law, like it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't have to be this way. There's actually this thing called intuitive eating. And have you ever heard about it? And there's a book and it's really interesting. It's really changed my relationship with food. Yeah. I really like the planting a seed. I do that a lot in therapy too with clients. It's like, you may not be able to get 
the result you want from a discussion with someone, but planting a seed is huge. That just means like you're getting someone to maybe think differently and you're not going to get the exact change right that moment, but maybe they'll start thinking about it. So the next question would be, how does one find someone to talk to about changing your relationship to food, but you don't have perhaps a clinical diagnosis of anorexia or bulimia? I think that's such a great question because a lot of people will hear about intuitive eating or you know they want to change a relationship with food and they don't recognize or they don't fit the criteria for an eating disorder. And it's a great opportunity for us to say, if you have a challenging relationship with food in your body, it's enough to go get help. And most people who work with eating disorders will work with people along the spectrum of even just a little bit of disordered eating or chronic dieting. They don't always have to have the full criteria for an eating disorder. So looking at psychologytoday.com is a big directory to find therapists. There's therapy den, just Googling therapist in your area and uh, eating disorders or disordered eating. The intuitive eating website also has a directory of people who have gone through the program and gotten certified. And so you can find someone in your city or state. I also appreciate when people reach out to me and I have no problem helping connect them to somebody in their state because we are restricted to the states for license and we can only work with people in our state. So I do have access to other directories where I can connect people to therapists and dietitians in their area. Perfect. All right. Next question is, what's the difference between overeating and binging? Like a lot of things, there's going to be a spectrum. And so I think of overeating as when we eat past comfortable fullness. So intuitive eating has a hunger fullness scale where five is neutral. You're neither hungry nor full. One is you are hangry. You are so hungry. You really put off eating for way too long. And a 10 is like Thanksgiving day stuff. Like you are so full, you might get sick. And so that might be maybe when you're getting to with intuitive eating, we're kind of aiming for eating between a three and a seven. So overeating, maybe you're getting to like an eight or a nine. Whereas with binge eating, you're going to like a 10, maybe even 11. And that can feel a lot more like there's a loss of control. Some people will mention that they're just eating and eating and eating and they want to stop, but they just can't. It's almost like they're in like another kind of part of themselves, keep reaching for the food. And that can go on for a period of time. So it could be anywhere along the spectrum there. And sometimes maybe somebody is binge eating and sometimes maybe they're more overeating. So it can kind of vacillate. And it really does depend on the person too. I think that when we think about binging or overeating or people will kind of joke about binging on something, um, when it becomes would you say there's an aftermath of shame that's kind of a, tied to that as well? The feeling afterwards, or do you feel like that's kind of all over with, with just overeating period? I think it's all over yeah. with both. I mean, I see it even when people eat a quote unquote, a normal amount of food, sure. there can be guilt and shame and all that stuff can come up. So I'm not sure that one happens more with the other or not. Okay. But I also think we should quick mention, because I think that we have normalized cheat days, cheat weekends. And when I look back at my own behaviors with that, oh yeah, that's actually probably a 
binge. Um, I, I had never thought of it before until I learned more about it. Like, yeah, I was really planning for that binge to happen and gave myself permission. It was, it ended up being quite disordered. Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up because I remember reading, I do not endorse this book, but I just remember like, you know, we know better, we do better guys. Maya Angelou, what, 10 years ago when Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week or the four hour body or the two hour body, something ridiculous. And it was basically like, he, yet again, this is where credentials matter. I don't think he is a registered dietitian or therapist or has any credentials to be giving diet advice, but he talked about how he would be like, you know, you eat so many grams of protein within the first few hours of waking up. Like there were rules around the food that advice he was giving. And then weekends are his cheat days where he eats whatever he wants. He And so he like restrict, 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 and then eats whatever he wants. And that's how you get like the body. It was very interesting because part of me is like, is this talking about men? Is this talking about women? Is this talking about women in menopause? This is talking like there's so many. And not only that, just the, the disorder around that, the disordered feeling around that was so... I look back and I'm like, wow, he really probably did a number on some people. But that cheat day is what he was advocating for. And his book was quite popular. That was for the four hour work week? Yeah. And I think it was the four hour body. I think he had like a four hour work week and then he had a four hour body because the four hour work week was so popular. It was basically like how to be so efficient in your life where you only work four hours or how to only do 30 kettlebell swings a day to have the quote unquote perfect body and eat to, to have the perfect body. Oh, yeah. yeah. So a lot of this information really, <laughs> there's so many layers to it. It's like, we don't even know where all these food rules even come from. <laughs> I feel bad that I've exposed you to so many like negative food rules. Like last week I was telling you about the what food with no breaks. You're like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm it's always, bad it's always something new. No, I need to know this. I need to stay up on it. it but well, luckily that book is very old, uh, and I think it's just like it's left the ethers of our, you know, of the pop culture. But um, I specifically remember that. Okay, so talk a little bit too about you know cheat days. Is that just is that just again a way for us to restrict and then like look forward to a, a quote unquote treat? I mean, that's just. In intuitive eating, there's none of that. None of that. Yeah, and it's just such a natural biological thing that our our brains and bodies do. If we're going to restrict ourselves from food, of course, we're going to think about food. And if we have permission in just a few days or a few hours or whatever it is, then we are just going to eat whatever we want. And it's going to, you know, we think that we're doing the right thing, but then that just sets us up for the next cycle of restriction and we're just stuck in there and it's like week after week and sometimes we can put it off for longer but it ends up being such a disordered cycle that we get stuck in do you mind sharing briefly and whatever you're comfortable sharing of like the cycles that you found yourself in before you did a lot of this work because you mentioned that like you've kind of been in disordered patterns before you used to restrict like what was that time in your life like what was what was that? So this goes back a long time. I think a lot of people can relate to as kids, even starting to restrict. And I still, you know, I look back at some of my school materials that I was writing out the calories. I know that that's, that was really popular back then and seeing our parents do that and counting points. And 
switching to uh, back in the day was called Atkins. Now it's keto. Like it just kind of changed names, but I tried everything. And so it was counting calories at some point switching to, um, gosh, where did we go there? I went through CrossFit times and there was paleo. And then I started working with eating disorders and realizing like, oh, this is actually kind of disordered. And how can I be working with people where I'm encouraging them to eat all foods, but I'm not doing that myself. So cue Instagram showing me if you, oh my God, what is it called? <laughs> Counting macros. I actually forgot what it's called. If it fits your macros. Yeah. IFF, whatever. IFF. Yeah. Wow. It's Why? true. You really yeah. can forget some of this stuff. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you know, not to interrupt you, but like, I'll go, I'll tell my story real quick because everyone has heard it. Everyone has heard it. But like, I didn't even know what macros were when we started doing Girls Gone Wad. And I was like, what's macros? I mean, I was just like so blissfully ignorant and I wish I would have stayed there because it just, yeah. It's seductive. And it's, you know, I'm working with eating disorders and not realizing like, oh, just because I'm eating all foods. It was actually still disordered. I'm still restricting myself to down to the gram. So I, I know a lot of people, we just have a lot of similar traits, maybe perfectionism, where it just feels good and safe to break it down to the gram, weighing out your food. Oh, I hit my macros perfectly. Man, did that feel good for a little bit of time. But um you know, I look back on that and realize that that was just all part of my journey. And I wish I had known that macros was really just, a, uh, what's the word for it, but like a, a bridge to get to intuitive eating. I thought mm. that was just how I was going to eat the rest of my life because I get to eat everything. You I get to eat whatever you want. Was. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't know about intuitive eating or health at every size at the time. So once I learned about that, I felt like I got hit by a truck. It's like, oh my God, I'm still doing this. I'm talking to people about accepting the bodies that they're in, but I'm still trying to change my body. And weight doesn't equal health. Cause I kept thinking, Oh, I'm just trying to get to the quote unquote normal BMI. No matter how hard I tried, I just, I couldn't, I, I don't, I just don't think my body's meant to be at that size. And so that's when it was a huge turning point for me and realizing that everything I thought I knew was really just diet culture, shape shifting, diet culture, shape shifting. Yeah. And how, when you talked about down to the gram and it's like very seductive because everyone was doing it for a while, especially in CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell my whole story because I've told it on this podcast so many times. And if you don't know what it is, just probably Google back to some episodes because I'm sure there's a title that will tell you. <laughs> it was like 2016 and mm-hmm. I started counting macros because like everyone else was doing it. And I... I don't have, you know, this is where I minimize a lot of my stuff. I'm like, because I didn't have like a clinical diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure I had like exercise bulimia <laughs> at some point in my life. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that spectrum. It doesn't have to be this like you're in the hospital type of thing. Uh, I'm going to share this actually that I've never shared before. And this is such a vivid memory for me. I will never forget seeing, I read Seventeen Magazine. So this was like when I was in high school, maybe the tail end of high school, maybe early, early college. I would read like all the fashion magazines. I think I had like Seventeen Magazine. And I remember there was like a call for talking to women who had eating disorders of like, do you struggle with food? Do you struggle with exercise? Do you struggle? Like, and I 
felt called to call them. I, I'm like, this is so out of character for me because I'm not, I was pretty shy. I didn't like the spotlight. I didn't really like I was very back then. You're not like emailing people. I think maybe I emailed maybe email was a thing. But this was, you know, pre just submit a form online type of thing. And I talked to a journalist that I still to this day, like want to find I think I was friends with her on Facebook for a hot minute because I found her. Laura something. And she wrote this article about eating disorders and like how it can be on a spectrum. It doesn't have to be like this very severe, you're in the hospital on a feeding tube. That's a very acute level of an eating disorder, but it can also show up to where you kind of want to quote unquote, catch it before it develops because it really can escalate to something very severe for your health. And I remember calling her and talking to her and she interviewed me and she put it in the 17 article And I think I had, I think I used my actual name, but I talked to her about the behaviors that I was doing. I'll never forget that because it really got me thinking about like, that was a start for me of really acknowledging that I was struggling and I never really did anything about it. I'm not saying I had this like epiphany and got help, but I remember talking to her almost like as a way, it was like a barrier to be like, I want to tell someone, but... I didn't really understand therapy back then. Like therapy wasn't really a thing. It wasn't mainstream, but I had to tell someone. And I told this like random journalist writer at 17 Magazine and it ended up in the article. And it's just like, that is very vivid for me of just being like telling someone. But back to the point too, of just being very like unaware. I remember Zone Diet was really big because Dr. Barry Sears was, you know, wrote this book about zoning your meals. I read it, didn't do anything about about it because I couldn't figure out how to portion food. I didn't want to, I should say, but I could control exercise. So I would justify my food with the exercise. Anyway, I think the whole piece about like how you're unaware of these things too, and they kind of creep up on you where you're like, whoa, what am, what is that behavior that I'm doing? And how did I learn how to do that? is very, we need to pay attention to that. And we need to kind of like look at the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but I think it's just- thank you for sharing that with us though. I think it's interesting how we can look back and reflect on, oh yeah, there were certain moments where I knew something wasn't right, but I I didn't have the words for it. I mean, it sounds like the, you know, the article did kind of speak to you and you realize, oh, there's something that's not right here. But I don't know that we ever quite, I mean, of course, we, we eventually get there, but we didn't know at the time that this is what it was. We didn't know. And I think that's the other piece that I, I watch with diet culture is I'm 44 now. I didn't know anything when I was in my teens and 20s and even 30s. I mean, I counted macros when I was in my 30s. And I, maybe my point of telling that story was just like, I knew that I had a history of having like, hmm, questionable relationship with food and diet and exercise. So what was I thinking going into macro counting? I don't know. I think it was just like another thing to be like, oh, this is new. This is fun. I guess I'll just try it out. Well, guess what? I lost my period. I lost way too much weight, but people looked at me And I got compliments and they were like, what are you doing? And I'd get stopped in the grocery store asking if I do bodybuilding competitions because I was so wasted away that I was just pure muscle, which by the way, guys, not healthy. (laughs) That wasn't healthy. I lost my period. That's my Mm. body saying you're not okay. Yet I was getting mega compliments. 
And it's just like, that was very eye opening to me after I got out of it. And it took a while to get out of that mindset. Uh, and we could talk a little bit too about like, how do you let go? And <laughs> let go and let intuitive eating. Uh, and, you know, I just, I think that that is gotta what make that we a need. Sign. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that a lot of people started coming out the woodwork because yes, there were some years there where everybody was macro counting. It felt like the right thing to do. There wasn't anything wrong with this. We could even talk about reverse dieting. Oh my gosh, that blew my oh mind. My it actually really helped my relationship with food. Again, this is a um, a stepping stone. That's what I was looking forward to intuitive eating. Like, oh wait, I actually can eat X amount of carbs or X amount of calories. Wow. So you're telling me I'm going to use this uh, number because it's just too ingrained. I can eat more than 1200 calories. Oh my gosh, that number was actually so disordered and we should have never been told to eat as much as a toddler. Oh, okay. Sorry that I'm getting off point. When people no. started talking about what you just said about macros and oh, by the way, the last three years, I haven't had my period. And I don't think we realize how, um, like what that means for your body. Uh, but I, I really appreciate people coming at me like, oh, by the way, I had an eating disorder at that time. And this wasn't really healthy. And I think it turned a lot of people's minds on to, okay, maybe I need to not do this. Yeah. And I think I need to stop like through this conversation, Molly, I need to stop minimizing it. It was a full blown eating disorder. Like it was not healthy. I was thinking about food. I remember waking up at 4am starving and wanting to go into the kitchen and binge. And I just remember being like, what can I, anyway, I'm not going to go into it, but like, it was just very disordered. <laughs> and because I, I remember thinking like, well, am I going to have to do this forever to maintain this physique? Like mm -hmm. I was so confused. It was like someone, and granted, I make my own choices. I'm a grown ass woman, but like, I remember feeling very confused by the macro counting world because I was in this Facebook group, it, like kind of culty where people are like, hey, do you count gum? <laughs> do you count lemons? And I'm like fake typing right now because like that's what people would type. That, do you count lemons? And I'd be like, oh, do and I remember posting some things in there. Like I look back and I'm like, I actually posted once. Oh, I'm just going to shame. I'm going to like let the shame out and actually like admit this. This is like confession corner today for whatever reason it needs to happen. But I remember posting and being proud of this. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach that I got the wrong Starbucks order. And I realized it was a different Starbucks order when I left. And because it was like a full fat, whatever, everything in the, the cup, you know, whipped cream, everything. I was like, I just got the wrong order and I dumped it out. Oh. Yeah. And I posted that in the Facebook group. Like, look at me, how good I am. Yeah. I mean, isn't I've that disgusting? That's, oh, that well, makes my, my stomach is, hurt. <laughs> no, we've, I think a lot of us who are listening have been there and we didn't, isn't it so interesting that we see it so differently now? Like, oh my gosh, my heart hurts for your younger self. For yeah. Both of for both of that. our younger selves. Yeah. So anyway, mm -hmm. Not, I'm not discounting it. I'm not trying to gloss over it. What I'm saying is like, I, for whatever reason, we had to share that. But like you, did you reverse diet then when you were, you were macro counting and you did reverse dieting? Several times. Sure. <laughs> Several times. Yeah. 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 And, and because I, <clears throat> the other thing that I think is 
what we tend to do is think like, well, okay, now that I'm macro canning, I'm going to reverse, quote unquote, reverse diet, that then I'm going to get to a point where I can maintain like these maintenance calories, like everything is kind of into this, like, well, now you're actually going to just maintain where you are, when in reality, your body is deciding where it wants to freaking maintain. So how did you then let's talk about this, because I think this is pertinent to everybody of like how we let go and let intuitive eating, how do, how do we let that go? And, and I feel like you're going to say exposure, but just talk about like maybe your experience too, to kind of give some context to it. Yeah. Personal experience I think would be really helpful. So just keep in mind, everyone's different. Everyone has a different path. This was just mine. I started getting a lot of information at once, which I tend to look at that as kind of signs and So it was the combination of learning about intuitive eating, health at every size. Somebody I'd met on Instagram had reached out to me and said, hey, listen, reverse dieting is basically made up. It was a made up concept for bodybuilders who were so scared of putting on the weight after the show. It was like a slow way to go back up, but you could potentially just go straight back to the maintenance macros that you're supposed to be on and be just fine. I was like, what? So I don't have to. I don't have to restrict still. Yeah. Two grams at a time every week. It's just so awful. So I decided I needed to give myself permission to not diet for the rest of the year. I needed to have enough time, which, you know, there's, I don't know what enough time is, but months and months and months time to work through these pendulum swings I'm going to experience and really make a promise to myself. I'm not going to diet for the rest of the year. If by January 1st, I decide to go back on a diet, that's my choice, but let's, let's give this a shot and give myself enough of a chance to work through this. And so I knew I needed to get rid of the scale. Now, my husband needs it in a sense for he's in the military. He actually does have to, he's, he has, yeah, we, we, it, we do need a scale in the yeah, military has <laughs> rules. Yeah. There are rules. He doesn't step on it every day uh, just to weigh our dog, but I had to get it out of the um, bathroom. I needed to not see it. I needed to stop weighing myself every day. Uh, I had to, you know, I couldn't stop tracking all of my food yet, but I started to only measure you know, the, the things I was still really scared of. So it's like, I'm starting to, yes, expose myself by not weighing my spinach. And maybe I do weigh salad dressing until I realize, wow, I, I don't need to do this. I've been weighing this stuff for years. I know what this looks like. And it doesn't even matter if I know how much two tablespoons looks like I can have three, I can have four. I can't, it doesn't matter. So it's like slowly over time, you start to realize, or you get tired of what you're doing And so you're kind of slowly moving towards intuitive eating at the same time. I was, I had to stop doing, I was doing like BBG at the time. Do you know what that is? No. What is it? I, oh my gosh. I feel like all this stuff is called, it's hit, it's a hit type of workout. Oh, like like a workout. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, body by George. I don't know. Am I even saying the right thing? I don't remember. It just sounds like some type of like body by beach body, something BBG. Anyway. Yeah. It's some hit something. So to anybody who thinks, oh my gosh, I'm never going to forget the macros in an egg or, you know, all this like useless information, you really will forget it in in time. I promise. I had to not do hit workouts anymore. I was like, I don't enjoy them. This was just to lose weight. So I was just walking, listening to podcasts on intuitive eating health at every size. 
reading books on it, gathering as much information as I possibly could. And yeah, by the end of the year, I was like, I'm not dieting for the rest of my life. That's it. And that was it. And that was it. That's that's so like poetic in a way, but I know it's not without a lot of pain and dark days. Cause I think there's uh, always kind of been an element of like, for me, I'm just like, yeah, but I can get through it. I can get through it. I'm like, no, I was really struggling. And I think that, you know, one of the questions that came in that we can address is kind of what you had just mentioned was like, hey, I'm in my 30s and 40s. I've been dieting my whole life. How do how do I let go and start moving towards that? Would you say someone who really is steeped into it, A, it depends, but B, you know, maybe they're not ready to talk to a counselor. Let's just pretend that because I know it's easy to be like, well, just go talk to a counselor, find an intuitive eating counselor. What is some, I guess, practical advice that's not harmful that, you know, can be done safely with someone who isn't ready to talk to someone yet to kind of just maybe start planting the seed? Gather information. I forgot to even mention, there's so many of us on Instagram or social media where we're going to talk about this information. It's so helpful. Just have these like little tidbits uh, on your screen to start to gather this information. Where, where should I begin and kind of go inside and ask yourself, what am I willing to let go of? I'm no, I'm not asking anybody. I don't know anybody who has let go of all of their dieting behaviors at once. I certainly didn't. It took a long time. So maybe there's, maybe you're ready to take the fitness tracker off. Let's start there. Maybe you put the food scale away, but not the body scale away. That's mm. okay. Just let's just start with whatever feels most um, manageable and just start there. And maybe be patient. Uh, I, I say that like kind of laughing because I'm like, I be, and I'm speaking from my own experience of like, I just needed to be patient because I was very much thinking like I could just work through this in six months. You just can't put a timeline off it. This is really like a lifelong unraveling of a lot of things like we mentioned last week. It is because bodies change regardless. Even if our bodies don't change, the body we have at this weight at this age is going to look different than that body in 20 years. And so part of this is just acceptance that bodies change and they wrinkle and the age and this journey might look different. And, you know, each year since I've made peace with food, my body keeps changing for various reasons. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to in the pandemic, their body has changed. And so it's kind of a different ball game each time that happens and it's okay. We're going to work through it. I don't know anybody who loves their body every day. I just notice I might be having a challenging body image thought a moment, maybe even a whole body image, challenging body image day. And I'm not going to let that affect what I eat or what I do. I'm still going to live a big full life. So what about, that's a good point you bring up. What are the things that you personally find helpful when you have a bad body image day? I lean on acceptance and commitment therapy. Have y'all talked about that on this? I haven't, but go ahead. It's great. So uh, short, uh, it's called ACT. And it's about, it breaks down to be present, open up, like to all thoughts and feelings. You're going to have positive thoughts and feelings and negative ones. And we're just going to accept all of them. And we're going to do what matters. We're going to think about our values. That might even come back to your why. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. For me, I just, I had to make peace with food and my body. And the things that are important to me are going out there and living a big life and just being social. And so if I'm having a really bad body image day, I'm going to notice the thought. 
I'm going to remind myself that I don't have to take all my thoughts seriously. Maybe it's just a part of me. So I also do internal family systems, but that might get confusing to bring that in here. But there's a part of me that thinks that, and I don't have to listen to it, take it seriously. It's not an order. Is this a helpful thought? No. (laughs) What would be a more helpful thought? Probably that I'm, you know, this is hard and that's okay. Add some self-compassion and let me go still see my friend this afternoon. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That was like the perfect like therapist that's done her own work answer. I mean, I, I say that with love because I'm like, I do that too. Where you're just kind of like using all those tools too, but it's easier said than done for sure. And we all have days, but I think also we don't then have to punish ourselves because we feel like we had a bad body day, meaning you don't have to restrict one day and you don't have to. So, um, I had a lot of good questions as we were talking that just went out the window, but let's go back to our questions from our listeners and answer a few more. What's most important to have in place before starting intuitive eating, like mindset, not necessarily physical, but is there, I guess they're asking more like, do they have to have a pretty, maybe stages of change? I kind of think of stages of change. Are you ready to let go of diet culture? Yeah, I'm trying not to be a broken record. I keep thinking of gathering information. <laughs> oh, that's I'm glad you said that because that's what I was that's what I was going to bring up is um podcasts. Whenever you're kind of like in be careful of what you're consuming because I remember when I was in the throes of macro counting, I would only listen to podcasts that were like about dieting and macro counting and like enforcing that behavior because I just had, it was almost like you had to get it in to be like, okay, we can do this and following people that were doing it and you know, all of that crap. I think it's really important if you're even thinking about intuitive eating, start consuming that type of voice in your head listen, and I've always said this on pod, on the podcast of like, be careful of who you put in your ears, because it really gets in your head. Literally, you know, you're listening to a podcast, what are you filling with your brain? Be careful of what you're listening to every day. If you're listening to all true crime and like murders, like just kind of back off the murders, you know, I, I get that there's true crime fanatics out there, I can be one of them. But I Hit also me. balance. Yeah, it's like, I, it's very much like also, if you're gonna go seek the intuitive eating route, maybe listen to some podcasts that have really good information, helpful information, to just start getting that narrative into your head. You'll have to get pretty critical on what you're listening to because there are some sneaky people. Gwyneth Paltrow cough. Um, she came up with some book called Intuitive Fasting. Like, y'all, that is not intuitive eating. No. <laughs> oh, Gwyneth, you can Ooh. do better. So if somebody's telling you that you know, this is intuitive eating and I'm going to help you lose weight. If there's any kind of focus on weight or weight loss or changing the way your body looks, that's not intuitive eating. I I send them love and compassion. I'm going to give them some grace and assume they don't know what they're, what they don't know, I guess. I wish they wouldn't do it. (laughs) So maybe I would say just Google Evelyn AAA on uh, podcasts and just listen to anything that she has done. She has done a ton of interviews mm-hmm. and they're all amazing. And there actually reminds me, like I like to re-listen to podcasts that kind of I need to hear. So I'm like, yeah, I probably need to re-listen to some of her interviews. I spe- just specifically, and I'll post this one in the show notes too. I really enjoyed the interview she did on 10% Happier 
that was such a good one, wasn't it? I have goosebumps. You just said it. It's the best. I always tell people to listen to it. Skip the first 17. I forget if it's 17 or 19 minutes. They talk about mindfulness if you don't want to listen to that. Mm-hmm. But it's great. It's her best. Oh, it's so good. And he just really opens up about kind of his own eating issues. And it's oh, it's so well done. So yeah, I can link to that one here. But all right. Be critical. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up. Because I think of a lot of fitness podcasts out there, they'll be like, how to intuitive eat. And they're just basically polishing a you know what around dieting. Okay, let's do one more. And then we can wrap up here. Because how did time just fly? How can I stop thinking about my stupid? Let me just let me just read this. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to gently say, I'm giving you a hug. How can I stop thinking about my stupid weight and size? I truly shouldn't care. Big hugs. Yeah, that's kind of my first thought. It is so, so hard. So one thought is when we try to stop thinking about something, if I tell you all this, stop thinking about that stop sign. Everyone listening is thinking about a stop sign. We can't stop thinking about. So it's going to be kind of like pushing that beach ball under the water and it's going to be hard and it's going to take a lot of energy. And eventually that ball just comes flying up. It's going to hit you in the head. So let's take that beach ball, you know, thinking about weight and body and all this stuff, set it next to you in the water allow it to be there, create space, even some expansion. It's okay for this to be here. Noticing that it's there. Eventually that ball will probably float away. And in this culture, we're constantly reminding, reminded of our bodies and weight and all that. It makes sense that these thoughts are going to keep floating up. You're going to have this thought probably for the rest of your life. So that's another acceptance piece. Like your body's going to change. You're probably going to have some body image stuff for the rest of your life. But it doesn't always have to dictate what you do that day. It's not going to be full days, full weeks. It might just be a bad body image thought. And the last question that I said was the last question, but I wanted to ask one more because it's it's short, is how do you feel around doing virtual therapy with intuitive eating? What are your thoughts on that? Are there any limitations? I love it. My entire practice is virtual. It might be virtual for the rest of my life now. I love it. I do trauma work online, EMDR, IFS. I do intuitive eating, all this stuff online. I love it. I think it works. A lot of people in the eating disorder world are actually kind of moving away from, uh, if they ever did, weighing patients. I know that that can be part of treatment. And that's okay if if you're in treatment and you're getting weighed and it's just something that they're monitoring but it's not necessarily necessary all the time. I'm glad you brought that up because I think there are, especially, I mean, it's just, it's a big change, but I started doing teletherapy and I too am a huge fan. I mean, A, it's just so accessible. I specifically recommend it for postpartum women because they can't leave their house that easily and they're struggling the most. And so when people will ask me, hey, do you have a therapist in the area that specializes in postpartum? I'll say get on teletherapy because it just there's so and it doesn't doesn't have to be specific to that. But I just think if you are in a time in your life where driving to an appointment is a barrier, teletherapy really is great. I as a therapist love it. I think it's really wonderful to do with patients. I have had just as much success and quote unquote success growth, uh, a meaningful experience as I have with in person therapy. So I'm I'm glad you said that. And I think specific to eating disorders where there can be that in some scenarios where therapists feel that they need to weigh their patients, like that's, that's one thing that 
I guess a clinician would need to decide, but for the most part, you feel like it, it can be done. Yeah. It, it really helps with accessibility. And, uh, you know, even in this field, there is a lot of fat phobia. There's a lot of people who haven't done their work or really, they just didn't know. Cause I have a lot of compassion. I was there too. I didn't know about fat phobia, diet culture, health at every size and all that. So it just increases, you know, you might not have an option in your city to find somebody who practices health at every size or has uh, training in trauma therapies that are usually kind of needed in this treatment. So it can really expand to the entire state, your options. Well, this was great. This was a really great conversation. (laughs) I'm only laughing because I'm like, it just, man, it it went to some places I was not expecting. But you know, that's, I just usually trust when I'm like, oh, my intuition is telling me I need to talk about this. But Molly, they can find you Molly at Molly B Counseling on Instagram. Yes. And you can certainly reach us girlsgonewadpodcast.com or email us girlsgonewad at gmail.com feedback. You can send us a voice memo. You can give us a five-star rating and review. You can, whatever way that you want to interact, share with a friend, share this episode with a friend who might be, I don't know, I hate to say struggling because I feel like sometimes we just don't know what we're going through, but maybe they're having a hard time with dieting. Send this episode to them. And hopefully it can help one. If it helps one person out there, then we've done our job. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And Molly, thank you again. This was so great. Thank you for having me.